Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a movement by Laura podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted benefiting all beings today i'm so excited to welcome my brother john frank who is a who is my triplet brother he's been on several other episodes he is a physical therapist as well and he is a biomechanical um astrophysicist genius of all kinds i mean his biomechanical knowledge and knowledge of the body is is unsurpassed by anyone I've ever met. So he is my, he's my reference for anything. If I have any questions that people have asked me that are just, I'm not quite sure about, I always reference John and boy, it does not, not, he doesn't just know it. And he isn't in just, he's not just there practicing in the clinical setting, but he knows all the research on it too. He is just a wealth of knowledge. I'm just so grateful to have him as my brother, but also as my mentor. And um, he teaches me so much. So today we had all kinds of questions from people and we only got to cover a few, but we really, really, really dive into talking about plantar fasciitis. This is a condition that is common in runners, but it's also common in anyone who wears shoes. So we talk about plantar fasciitis. What is what is it? What causes it? And what you can do about it? And we also talk about the knees as well. So tune in and get ready for a lot of cool, geeky anatomical knowledge. Welcome, John, to today's episode. Uh, good to be back. <laughs> It's always fun to get in the sauna together and chat. So let's just launch right into this. Yesterday, we were talking about plantar fasciitis, which is a malady that is experienced by athletes, but also the just the common non-athlete, the person at work who maybe isn't even a runner. 
Uh, can you explain a little bit about the what is causing plantar fasciitis? Um, so there are two kind of major uh, theories. One's one's not. Wait, really... backtrack a little bit and just talk about what is that for anybody so plantar, who doesn't. Yeah, what is yeah. plantar fasciitis? So there's a thick fascia. Uh, is is a thick uh, band of connective tissue that goes from the heel uh, and goes to the the base of all the toes. Um, and so it's, if you look at the bottom of your foot, it's, uh, it's really like a, almost like a fan shape because it goes from a narrow or, uh, it goes from the heel in a, it's, it's, it's thin or not as wide. And then it spreads out to connect to, uh, the bases of all the toes. So it's a, um, it helps to support the arch of the foot among other things, but it's one of the major, uh, contributors to supporting the arch of the foot. And uh, often people will get plantar fasciitis or they'll, it'll be called plantar fasciitis. There's a little controversy if it's really actually inflammation, but, um, but it's somewhere along the connective tissue, usually uh, near the heel or uh, kind of near the uh, inner arch where it's thicker, uh, there's pain. And it can be very, very painful when you step on it because when you step on it, the body weight stretches that, stretches the foot, stretches the arch, the arch lowers, and that can cause pain at, at a particular point along the, the fascia. So basically the, the first stage of it getting kind of grumpy is that it's being shortened from this kind of resting state of of connect uh, of you know just the connective tissue being holding the arch yeah i mean it can be um yeah some some things so if it doesn't really stretch too much as a thick connective tissue but there is some give to it um because it's meant to stabilize the arch it, it's responsible for about 50 percent of of controlling the arch flattening you want to have the arch flattened to absorb like when you step to to for the foot to accommodate to the surface and to also uh return some of that energy as you especially in running as you as you push off it's almost like if you can if people can picture a trampoline that has a tautness to it and how it will allow that you know the weight yeah. goes down and then it returns you up and just shrink that down into an art the area covering your feet. And that's essentially what the plantar fascia is doing. So it's not going to, like you wouldn't want your trampoline, uh, you know, high quality trampoline is not going to have stretchability to it. It's going to have a rigidity, but it has the ability to absorb your weight and return you back up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's all about uh, the Goldilocks. You don't want it. Uh, so some, some connective tissue is very more stretchable. Others are not. This is kind of in between. It's not as flexible as the Achilles tendon, which is a very, is really meant to stretch a lot. It's, uh, and return elastic energy. This, uh, the plantar fascia is, is a little bit built for stability and as well as elastic energy return. Um, and you see good runners, let's say you can see how they're, uh, kind of bounce along, and that's that's what it's like. It's like a um, it really saves calories, and um, if you can use some of that elastic energy return, there's also called something called the windlass mechanism, where you, as you walk, especially you 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 heel to toe, and as you lift the heel and start to rock up on your toes, um, 
the uh, because it doesn't stretch excessively when the toe is bent, um, it will um, it's being stretched over that uh, the ball the balls of the feet um, that plantar fascia is being stretched. So because it can't stretch that much, it brings it pulls on the calcaneus where it attaches to the on the other end of the foot and lifts the arch. So that saves again a lot of it helps to stabilize the arch of the foot especially during push off when you're at the end of the what we call the stance phase of gait when you're uh, pushing off from the balls of the feet and the toes it helps to stabilize your foot into a stable a rigid lever when you're when you need it when there's a lot of forces going through the foot and you need that to push off it's kind of creating a little uh, a bit of a coil in the windlass mechanism to be able to then push yourself forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it helps. Yeah, so it's um, so it's an important area, and what um, many people will, because of biomechanics and shoes and whatnot, they will that area gets either taut, too tight. You know, not not it doesn't have. It's not like you said meant to stretch, but then there can be some bindings, the collagen crosslinking. And then there can be some inflammation, which causes pain. So a, a very, I think, hallmark sign is when you wake up in the morning and you put your foot down and there's a, there's a sharp pain in your heel. Kind of as you get going, it gets a little bit warmer yeah. and that binding feeling and all that gets better. But this is people that have plantar fasciitis will be very familiar with that, that hallmark sign that the early morning, that first step, first number of steps are painful. So um, what are some of the things that cause plantar fasciitis? Yeah, so it's it, the plantar fascia gets too short, so it can't stretch. Uh, often that can be the case if you wear, most people wear shoes that have an elevated heel. And it's uh, the plantar fascia is contiguous with the Achilles tendon. So they kind of, they're almost like one continuous uh, band, structure yeah. band. Mm-hmm. So, with the elevated heel, even men's shoes, athletic shoes. Right. This is yeah. This is important to notice. Is it's like people think of elevated shoes as being a high heel, but this is um, almost all shoes have a little bit of uh, yeah. too much of a heel, and and that's actually shortening where the crossover of the plantar fascia comes into the heel. It's b- pulling that together because it's of the angle. And over and over again, then you're walking on that, it becomes... Yeah, and, and basically, there's a, I think, one study, well-done studies, uh, they they took all these factors that led to your probability of getting plantar fascia. They, they did that multiple regression analysis, which is statistically, when there's a lot of factors interacting, they try to parcel out what individual factors uh, probably approximate how much of a percent or um, they play in causing something. And um, uh, tight Achilles, are, it's like you have a 400% more uh, chance of wow. uh, getting plantar fascia uh, just because, you know, it, it's first of all, it, it will lift the heel prematurely and that will also um, put more stress on the plantar fascia. And if you have a structure that's connected and one part of the structure is tight, too tight, then it will put more strain energy into the other part. So it could be overstretching the plantar fascia. Uh, something that's I think uh, people aren't aware of sometimes is uh, 
the plantar fascia is not responsible for the heel spur. Uh, that's, um, that's where the flexor digitorum uh, brevis attaches, which is a muscle that's kind of like the plantar fascia. It helps support the arch, but it's, it's a muscle that does it. So I said plantar fascia is responsible for 50% of the stability of the arch. Uh, the, other, uh, the other parts of the uh, foot are your bony architecture. Everyone tends to have slightly different bony architectures. I'm not going to go into the details, but that can play a difference. Some people have naturally stiff, kind of high arches that don't flatten much. That's probably because of bony, uh, how the joints are aligned. Plus these muscles on the sole of the foot, flexor digitorum, uh, breath is being one of the mo- more important ones. And that is attached to the heel, and they've shown that the heel spur is related to where that muscle attaches. Not oh, that's interesting. So, yeah. so you would treat it slightly differently, perhaps. Um, How would you treat that? Because actually, somebody that wrote wrote specifically about that, and she's a dancer, and she said she has really high arches. And she has a heel spur, and she was thinking it was because of plantar fasciitis. But you're saying it's because, but it makes sense because heel, she's yeah. she's actually flexing her toes a lot from dancing, you know? Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, so uh, those are, but just back a heel spur is where, you know, a collection of, um, this, there's been some kind of, uh, tension or stress that's too much placed on an area. And so, uh, stem cells call in these either chondrocytes or osteoblasts, which are going to create more bone or more collagen in an area. And it's, it's, it's an attempt, the body's attempting to stop you from doing whatever you're doing. So it'll, it'll make it more difficult. And it's also trying just to create more of the, just give you more structure where you're lacking it. And, but in the process of making this bone spur, or, you know, like creating more structure and more stability, um, it, there's a lot of pain that's associated with that and can be compressing on different, um, struck, like, you know, vessels and stuff and nerves. So it ends up being not working for you, the bone spur, but your body's attempted, like trying to yeah, I mean, help I, you, you know, ultimately. Yeah. 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 I mean, a lot of times your body will, um, where, where tendon uh, the muscles use a lot, it pulls on the bone and the bone will be restructured. The bone will be restructured. And some of it's normal. We have all these protuberances are called and tubercles where tendons attach to, um, the bone and people, you know, some of it is, is is in the genes, but a lot of it's also how you use it. So people who use um, muscles a lot, they will tend to have thicker bones at the uh, attachment site, and that's a lot of times it's very beneficial. And that's how that's why strength training is very important for osteoporosis. But that being said, this is not. It can also be. Um, it goes on the overstress syndrome. Yeah. Like, you know, you can use stress as good until it's not, and so. And also, you put your your you put your foot down. Down, so you can feel it. It's, uh, yeah. well, what um so so. All right, so plantar fasciitis, I want to get back to the bone spur in a minute, but plantar fasciitis, essentially what John is saying is that some of this is structural, but we've also maybe added um, the problem of the elevated heel. So one way of of avoiding that is being barefoot, which we've talked about in previous episodes, so that you are in your most natural state. Now, I've had actually people who say, especially with a heel spur, but even with plantar fasciitis, that they're podiatrist said, don't ever go barefoot. 
So, so what is your thoughts on that? When, when that recommendation, is there any, is there any validity to that? Because that seems like, well, no, we want to go barefoot, but that's almost after it's been, the problem has. Well, you have to be very careful. I mean, so sometimes this, uh, the, the problem is often created by shoes. Right. And ironically, you have to, you try to do more, uh, I would say a healthier natural state then it can be too much. So you would have to do it in this slow, progressive mm-hmm. way and listen to your body. So um, yeah, the, just in general shoes, um, you have to, uh, if you think about it for a second, we we warn people all the time, oh, don't wear the back brace too long. Your muscles will, will weaken and, you know, but somehow we don't apply the same logic to the foot. Um, and podiatrists are especially... Uh, not to offend them, but a lot of them are just, it's traditionally thought that, okay, when you're one years old, you start wearing these stiff shoes that are, you know, protect the arch. But our evolution in um, the last two million years, uh, Homo erectus was the last, is the first hominid that's really like us. They have this similar body. They were runners, the first really running um, relative or cousin of um Homo sapiens. And so the foot has been evolved two million years, is very well adapted. Uh, so to think and the, the, to think that, you know, you got to protect needs, it, right? It needs yeah. to protect it is really not really, uh, it's not thought out well. Um, and uh, there's some obvious things you can do. You can observe people who have never worn shoes and they have, and cultures never worn shoes, they have very, they rarely have foot problems. And the real test is when they go, these people go to and start living a lifestyle that incorporates sitting a lot and shoes that have some obvious anatomical defects in their design, like a a high heel, a tapered toe box and stiffness and the, the feet become Wow, bad. Yeah, and and there's some genetics. That's a too. terrible, like, that's a terrible research project. Well, it's, take it's, people who have no problems and then well, make a you know it's, modern it's, day life of Westerners. Yeah. Well, I think it's such an well. It's just no. It's, I know. I know. And that it's yeah. just like the diet and stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's genetics and environment, and there's environment that expresses genetics. So most of us is a tangled web between the two. But it's so obvious when you just look at it. If you just we're so used to it in our in our lives. We've always had shoes, but if you look in history, shoes weren't really you know kind of uh, used as as much uh, throughout most of history. And some places still don't use them much. But if as long as you don't, you just kind of take a step outside the system. You have to take take a step outside and say, well, yes, I can see these people's feet. Their toes are pointed in. Their big toe is pointed towards the middle they can't and then you look at the shoes they wear and they say it's, oh, it's yeah. obvious it's as obvious why that happens it's obvious as <laughs> yeah you know it's 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 amazing that most people don't realize that um, and, and so speaking of that so imagine um so this is all leading up to the possibility of getting plantar fasciitis you stick your foot in a shoe you've got an elevated toe bo- uh heel you've got a um a, sh- a smaller um toe box which means just imagine like pulling your toes together, kind of ballerina slipper top style, and your big toe doesn't have anywhere to go. So it has to, um, it, it veers inward. It, imagine what a bunion looks like. That's that's kind of the, the precursor is the, 
the hallux valgus, which, which was is the big toe is moving in. So A, get out of shoes because you get, if you're in a shoe all the time and then you're in these particular types of shoes all the time, you're setting yourself up for the possibility for plantar fasciitis. Then the other thing is you need to spread your toes, especially the big toe, so that it, it, the ray of the, the toe stays in line and doesn't um, venture inward. And so there are people who already have hallux valgus. And John and I were talking about this, and, and you would recommend wearing toe separators yes. throughout the day as well. Yeah, so correct toes is a, you can go to websites, correct toes, like you're correcting your toes. And it, um, and you'll see a lot of good stuff. Uh, Ray McCallahan, I think I'm saying his name right, but he's a, he's a, he, um, you know, he, he was a runner and he invented it. He made the, he kind of, he made the, I think, more obvious uh, observation about how the shoes, uh, how the shoes are built and how they model the foot in that the optimal way. Um, I like to say a lot of shoes too have something called toe springs. So, which means that the, if you look at the shoe, the toes are up in the air. And so that's mm. to create a natural, because the shoe is stiff and the heel is elevated, you have to, it, it makes it easier for the foot to have that roll. Um, uh, because it's so stiff, it just it's and so what happens is your toe is now in a in an extended position, so you're you're really uh, you're uh, you're stretching that at the that fascia, the, the fascia yeah. and you're actually you move this fat pad that's at the uh, that protects the ball of the foot. And it moves it out of the correct position. And then the toe flexors, one thing that's very important too is when you push off, the tips of the toes have to be able to push in to the ground to disperse some of the pressure uh, from the balls of the foot. So you spread the forces evenly throughout the whole foot. But if you, you know, if you're constantly in the uh, shoe that pushes the toes inwards, that also pushes the toe or keeps the toes off the ground, those, those muscles get very weak. And it's, um, it's telling when you see someone's foot barefoot and you see their toes easily come off the ground, the tips of the toes, because they're, they're, they just don't have the strength to press into the floor. And the, So would a good exercise be like the, the grabbing the towel underneath your toes and pulling or, or not necessarily? I, 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 not just necessarily, like, because that the, the, when you do that, your toes are curling mm-hmm. and you don't really want to, you want to keep your toes pretty straight, uh, but you want to just be able to press into it, um, to, to the floor to, um, to disperse. Um, so if you, if you were clawing your toes, like the, grabbing yeah. your towels, if you're walking, running, that's not going to work so much. No. But if you just, first of all, just, practice walking barefoot around the house and you might have to build up to it i mean there is a a podiatrist that says you should never go barefoot the he the only good point i think that he that's well that's actually is that you have to kind of wean yourself Mm -hmm. i mean it might be too much and especially if you're you have plantar uh, fascia pain uh, that might be, um, it might be too much and you have to do it slowly. Mm-hmm. I would, you know, so. What um, do you think of, okay, so two things, because I was thinking about this when we were talking about our own feet a couple, I don't know, a couple weeks ago and I was saying, I was noticing in the wintertime, I wear socks to bed at night and that's actually not great probably because 
unless they're the toe socks where they, the toes are separated and, you know, like, um, but what do you think? so, So this made me think about like sleeping at night when people have this tightness already there. Uh, I know that there's splinting that people will put on their feet at night for, to kind of, for plantar fasciitis. What do you think of that? Do you think there's any value to that? I think there's, I think there could be value to the ones that just stretch the Achilles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that can be very valuable, actually, because Achilles tightness, again, uh, I think most people... Because uh, if you're sleeping, like, say, seven, eight, nine hours, and you're, you kind of naturally plantar flex your foot, which is right. pointing it, you're shortening it for another seven or eight hours. And which, you put in shoes that have elevated mm-hmm. heel. So uh, I think that, that can be a very... Uh, that can be very helpful. This is obviously for people who already have this um, or or are beginning to have this issue. Um, so another thing is for plantar fasciitis um, to avoid it or to remedy it, either on one, besides like get your, you know, get your foot out of a shoe, be able to have the strength in your toes. and Or, or wear shoes that are, are more flat yeah. and, and make your feet foot works naturally. I, I you can the ask word. the shoes. What is it? It's like a zero. That's it's like zero type shoe where it's it's where the heel is not lifted. Is yeah, it, so what is the, it called? The it's, uh, um, so there are a lot of negative uh, heel. Well, negative is different. I, yeah. I don't recommend. Maybe not that. negative, but what is it? So there's it's uh, it's uh, zero drop heel zero. zero. Drop. Mm-hmm. And there's if you go to naturalfootgear.com, you can. There are a lot of brand shoes that have wide toe boxes. And they yeah. look good. I mean, they're not, yeah, I mean, they're not, you know, normal. we just have like yeah. start, you know, put they're too normal. Much... You get their dress shoes and I'm going to, I'm going to buy some today. <laughs> and it really is. And it is free exercise. It's free rehab. Mm-hmm. Now, again, you might have to, if you're, you know, if you're acute stages and you're not, you know, or you have a very tight Achilles, you might have to build up to it like anything in life you can't run the marathon by starting to train a week before the marathon and expect to do well you have to do it gradually but um so you know that that's that's almost the most important you take you take away things that are i think the major causes and you slowly you slowly uh take them away you might have to go very gradual but you know the notion that you can't wear bare feet because it's it's painful at the time, and you can never do it when it is actually the shoes that cause it in the first place. And I will debate any podiatrist about how why it was the right. shoes that caused it. I mean, there can be other peripheral problems. You can have weak hips, and that can mm-hmm. put more more uh, uh, forces on the on, down the chain, so to speak, into the ankle. Um, there's another, and just to go over that really quick other kind of uh, uh, hypothesis uh, about what causes it, there's uh, Ray, the same guy, Ray McCallahan, um, was the first one that brought, I, I know that brought this up, that if you if your foot, toe, big toe is allowed to go inwards, you're stretching the muscle called the abductor halicus, which is a muscle that goes from your heel to the side of the big toe and that helps to keep that big toe in good alignment and that go in and so when that big toe goes in which you know shoes can cause because of their narrow toe boxes and high and elevated heel that stretches that dr halicus and uh, the posterior tibial artery which dives underneath the um the that muscle abductor halicus to provide 
nutrition and blood supply to the plantar fascia, as well as other areas, uh, gets decreased, the blood supply. So there's some evidence um, from a study a while ago that the it wasn't inflammation that uh, in the plantar fascia, but cell death, necrosis from lack of blood flow. And they did that because last resort of intractable plantar fascia pain is to cut it out, which is not a good idea because again, it's it helps stabilize the the foot. But when they looked under under the microscope, the cell, the uh, the tissue, the cells show signs of being dead. dead. These are for people who um, I don't even know if they do this surgery anymore, but they used to remove the fascia if it just became so painful, um, and then uh, or remove part of it, and and so. When people actually looked at the what the fascia looked like on these people who had had this um, chronic, chronic, painful um, plantar fasciitis, the, it showed this necrosis that he's talking about. So, uh, get that toe in alignment. That's the that's the bottom yeah. line. Get the big toe in alignment. And if you know, sometimes I see people on the yoga mat; they've already have signs of that um, hallux valgus, which or rigidus, and all that, where the big toe is going in, and they can't spread it. Um, and I think John and I were talking about it. You could even practice. It will be a little bit awkward because some, so maybe the, the, the toe corrector that, that you recommend from it's correct toe, it's a separator, but maybe something a little bit more, not that that's very thick silicone and that's great for walking around and wearing. But if you're doing yoga, get some kind of toe separators that you can maneuver with. So that when you're weight bearing, even in yoga, especially in weight, because you're barefoot, that you are getting that reinforcement there. Because if you don't have that um, toe in the right position, it's going to affect your balance. It's going to affect your oh, um, ability to um, move, you know, move. And because if you can't get your that toe in the right place, it'll affect the, how much um, flexibility you have in the toes, and then in the in the ankle, and all the way up the chain. So. It's, it's a big deal. So get that toe in alignment. The oh. other thing is, oh yeah, go ahead. Well, you'll notice the right way. I mean, you could wear correct toes doing yoga. It would work mm-hmm. really well. When the big toe is in alignment and people have never felt it, that's where most of the weight goes to the big toe when you push off. And if it's 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 night and day. Yeah, you- I don't even feel like I have any major problems with my foot, but I wear it and I, I can tell the difference. Like I can... Yeah. I can really get a sense of the difference. I try and wear it whenever I think about it during the just regular day. And it it does feel, there's just like this sense of equanimity of where your weight bearing is going. And, and it just, there's yeah. a, yeah, it's wild. Well, and it's I wild. think there's a, I think there's a, arch. Le- I think mm-hmm. the lesson too is a greater lesson. And, uh, you know, evolution, if you affect a human body, uh, through fashion, whatever is uh, usually evolution is more clever than you are, mm-hmm. and rarely uh, the null hypothesis or the underlying assumption is it, it works best the way it was meant to work, which is without shoes. Uh, so, which means yeah, we are something to protect the feet, but uh, it doesn't need any extra protection. Now, the difficulty is most people by the time they hear that they've been wearing shoes their whole life so they and, and sh- the wrong shoes now i wear shoes but they're very uh, flexible so my foot can actually you know can act like a foot but it protects me from sharp objects on the ground or what have you but um so you have to kind of you have to kind of uh reverse some of the uh the 
detriments that the typical shoes have have affected the foot. Um, so it, it's yeah. a it's yeah this is a little bit of a uh, you have to go back and uh, be careful. Um, and I think the what's the, the, the podiatrist was I think was getting at that point, which is valid that you just can't person with plantar fasciitis cannot just go barefoot. Go, yeah, but yeah. the fact that he said you should never go barefoot, right? That's where it's not right. correct. Yeah, um, you got to just start it, ease on, and then. So those are just some helpful hints with plantar fasciitis, which is can be just brutal, and many many people can have it. So you're not alone, but these are some tips. Make sure that you get barefoot and stretch out your calves. That's another thing is often very tight calves will pull on the Achilles tendon, which is going to pull on the plantar fascia and that. And massaging can be helpful. Oh yeah. And we were talking about massage and then even like um, a particular ball, if you have adhesions to to push into that with the fascial ball, myofascial ball can help. Yes. And I think that's the adjunct, but it's not the root cause of it, but it can be very helpful. There might be a little... Uh, tight spots within the plantar fascia, like a hose, garden hose that has a kink in it, you might have to get that out first and that can spread the stretch over a larger area. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I have a lot of questions here. Um, Let's see if we can get to a few more. Someone asked, can people with meniscal tears, and I'm, you know, I'm I'm assuming she means in the knee, practice yoga and strengthening techniques? No, practice yoga, question mark, strengthening techniques that are recommended for people that have meniscal tears. Can they practice yoga? Oh, sure. I mean, yes. I mean, you have to, I have to look at the person. I have to look, not everyone with meniscal tears is alike, but yes, for sure. Because, you know, controlling, uh, one of the most important ways to decrease the kind of compression and shearing, the kind of like the... Uh, horizontal forces across the knee that is very detrimental to the meniscus is to to learn how to control uh, the the over twisting of the knee and to you know use you know use your muscles to help balance the knee and in the hip and foot and control it. So a lot of meniscal problems is when there's not a uh, people can't control the alignment of the whole hip, knee, and ankle, and the knee dives inwards as a common scenario, or the or it, it, there's too much twisting of the upper bone, the femur, inwards compared to the lower bone, and that can put a lot of abnormal compression and shearing on the meniscus. So for sure, I mean, you have to, of course... And well, let's put the caveat that this is not um, traditional vinyasa, I don't think would be great, um, and certainly some other types of you know, uh, where you're really doing some strain, stressful things on the knee um, for a pose. For example, Lotus, I don't think has no. value. No. And I wish people would just stop doing that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> and, for sure. And, and yeah. so definitely if you have a meniscal injury, don't do anything like that where you're really torquing the knee. Yeah. And because most people are not going to have the range of motion in their hip, that would not torque the knee. So if you don't have the range of motion for those bigger things, and and you know you're going to an in range of motion, which I don't even think is that great. But so definitely things like that. I think something like a deep malasana, like the traditional malasana. Again, if you did it really well and you had control and you weren't sinking into your hip joints, your knees weren't dro- dropping in, then malasana might work for you. But I think for a lot of people. They're really just dropping and it's not a control type of um, 
deep squat, you know, Malasana with the heels down. Yeah. I just feel like it's or the putting heroes the, pose. Yeah. Oh, I mean, heroes. I mean, no, I mean, no, no, no. I never do I mean, heroes. I, I would just say I'm not doing extreme poses. Of course, mm-hmm. just like yoga, just like anything, there's so much variation. Practice yeah. my yoga and you'll be fine because <laughs> I don't um, do those type of things. Um, but, purposefully. But, but one thing I say that yoga, good, the right type of yoga would be actually really beneficial, more beneficial than some other exercises. It teaches your body um, proprioception. Mm. And, and that means the helps to your body has all the, uh, has all these joint or, or sensors and our nerve sensors in your joint and your muscles, tendons everywhere, really, that give your brain quick information about how the the, the body parts are related to each other, how the joints are, what position the joints in. And when you practice yoga, uh, a lot of the leg balances and leg movement without shoes and the focus on alignment, which is great, it, it really teaches you um, better than going on the elliptical, which might be, you know, it might feel, it, uh, it might, it might feel okay for your knee and that's great. You can get some cardiovascular, but you're not teaching, you're kind of constrained in the machine. So, uh, th- the fact that the, uh, yoga is more natural and natural in a good way, and you have to kind of control, uh, control your, your whole body, uh, against gravity and your syndrome, uh, and you have to control the joint positions. It really helps a lot to the yoga mm-hmm. can really be helpful that probably other machines or even strengthening machines uh, that you see the gym do not help at all with. I think a way to also think about when you're doing something and you've had a knee strain and maybe even a meniscal tear is how can you look at the knee as a part of a current so that whatever movement you're doing is not getting kind of lodged into that area, but that is getting pulled up or weight bearing down. Like there's a there's an exchange of energy and the knee is the center of it, but it doesn't get stuck there. Because that's where the pressure or the compression at the knee can can um, you know strain the meniscus. So um and those of you who don't know what meniscus are, those they're they are cartilaginous um parts of connective t- there are connective tissue that are made of um, cartilage, strong collagen that give um, that area a congruency where, you know, it's a, it's a hinge joint with some rotational um, quality to it, but they're giving that uh, weight bearing some... Uh, it, it definitely it, it, like, spreads out the pressure. Spreads, yeah, exactly. It's more contact it's, area. It's a it? contact area and it helps, yeah, it's like it this fibrocartilage that really helps disperse the force Yes. And it's, I wanted to say springboard, but it's, it's really, you know, when you're landing on it, it, it disperses that force. So when you tear it, you, you've got to do extra work on, especially all that deep, all the core integration um, to help that not be compressed into the knee. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. So it's, yeah, it doesn't heal very well. So when you tear it, it's doesn't have a rich blood supply. Um, but, you know, the thing that you wanted, you know, you want to, if you have pain, let's say with yoga, and yoga is good in this way too. It's slow, so you can you can learn. Whenever someone has pain with something, I have them do it. I teach them, you know, why, or I tell them why I think it's going on, and then they learn themselves. So when they do something and they have pain, let's say in the knee, they say, okay, well, let me try this again without pain. They learn, oh, if I don't let my knee twist in, if I engage my glutes, if I, you know, do all these things, I can, uh, then I don't have pain. And you teach yourself 
not to have pain. I mean, I have a messed up body. Yeah, my back is never going to be the same, but I know how to control it. I mean, mm-hmm. most of the time, if you use your muscles correctly and you absorb the impact and you control the movements of the joint, then you can take away some of the stress out of the, uh, and not have pain, even though there might be some anatomical, um, you know, problems, uh, with, let's say my back. I mean, if I do, you know, if I, if I act like a typical teenager, I'll feel in my back. So, uh, you learn how not to, uh, just by moving and posture, but, uh, you know, usually what doesn't the postures and movements, the quality of posture and movements that you do that can take pain off of an area that does have a, you know, some problems is also usually the ideal way to do it anyway for, you know, efficient movements. Yeah. So, and I think it also comes back to like, let's use yoga practice, like redefine it as not going into like a pose that is just a pose for a picture, but also a pose that is functional, has a functional significance. So for that's why Lotus, we're not loaded. We're not Lotusing around in our lives. It's just, uh, even if you meditate, you don't have to meditate in, in Lotus. It's, um, it, it really isn't. So, so the value of it goes way down if it doesn't have like a cross purpose, I think. And, and that's, I think if yoga is really about raising consciousness and feeling our best, then we have to think of going into going in and out of poses with this conscientiousness that John is referring to and not going to a pose just because it's like, you know, like, like the hero pose is, is not, we're not going to be on our knees and lean back like that. It's just, it's not a functional um, pose. You're losing a lot of your um, stability by not having your feet grounded. And so a lot of that strain is going right into your knee joint, which is not, again, it should be more like a current and we don't want to compress it. So just also don't practice poses that are at all going to do that. There's just no value at all. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, um, well, we're already, I'd like to, we have more questions, but I just would like to um, save those for later because we have covered a lot here and I want everybody to absorb that. I think the message here is, Get out of your shoes, move functionally, move well, get get control in the body, use your movement practice, whether it's yoga or something else, as a way of investigating where you have imbalances and work to get more, um, not only strength and function, but also like John was saying, proprioception, ability to understand where you are in space so that you can move well and respond well, that your body is highly intelligent. And we're going to do that when we have ourselves out of our shoes as much as possible. And we'll always say, strengthen your glutes, <laughs> they're the center of your yeah. body, and they're going to help. Yeah. Actually, that's another thing that will help plantar fasciitis, and it will help the meniscal stuff. And yes. It, yeah. And I was going to say, you can change most of the time. For most people, you can make positive changes in your foot, even if it's been a little messed up, if it's not... It, they've shown that you just go barefoot. And again, you have to, uh, if you have no issues, you have to listen to your own body, of course. Uh, but people who go on barefoot who haven't before, when they measure their arch three months later, their muscles got built right up. There's four layers of muscles that help support the arch. And so they made that change by just using the muscles. So, um, yeah. yeah, so that's a, you can make changes. And a lot of times, um, 
uh, you're not, you can make positive changes. You're not doomed. Yes. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, John, as always. It was a pleasure. We could geek out and talk about this all the time. So um, let us know if this all made sense to you and you enjoyed it. And please share with friends. Many, many people um, in one form or another either know someone or have suffered from plantar fasciitis at some point and we want to avoid it. So if you have friends that are runners who've never had it, give them some tips here as well. So share this episode and also subscribe, rate and review if you haven't already. You can send me a a screenshot of your review and we will send it to movement at Laura, I'm sorry, podcast at movementbylaura.com and we will send you a free link to a class. All my classes are, they, all of them have a purpose and the purpose is to improve, like John is saying, improve the body. We're never too late to get stronger, to get um, more aligned, to have more core integration and to move with ease and grace and joy. So let's do that. Okay. Thank thank you. you. Bye-bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.